our scripture reading today is Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into, into him who is ahead, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thanks, Fiona. Good morning. Everybody doing okay? Um, if you don't know me, my name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we normally have like a, a little welcome kind of announcement slot in the middle that we just skipped over because we have a lot to get through today. So I'm just going to kind of do that now as I start as well. So if you are new here or newish, there's some of these connection cards out on the, there's like a desk in the corner out there that we moved it over. Uh, you can fill one of those out. Let us know you're here. Um, if you want to know more about uh, Life at Village or whatever. Um, it's a little black box. You can pop that in, and one of our leaders will be in touch with you. Um, I'll share a couple more announcements at the end, but uh, I'm very glad you're here. It's a very appropriate time to be here uh, because we are uh, jumping into this three-week series that we call Family Traits. Uh, we do this kind of short mini-series every single year, every autumn, uh, just as a way to remind ourselves and kind of ground ourselves again in what this 
thing called the Church of Jesus Christ that you're all here for uh, is all about. Uh, September's a good time to do that um, because uh, summer's kind of drawing to a close. Like hopefully a lot of you have had uh, summer holidays, that kind of season of rest. Um, even our church rhythms have been uh, felt like that as well. They're quieter. We do kind of less. There's, there's kind of uh, less going on, more restful. And that's on purpose. That's a good thing uh, for the church to do that. Um, but this time of year feels like that Like kids are kind of going back to school. We're getting back into normal uh, work rhythms and patterns. Uh, And we'll feel that in the life of church as well. Um, There's a time for slowing down. There's a time for rest and renewal. But then there's also a time to kind of get back to work and and go. And that's what this time of year feels like. So it's good and it's important to uh, every year to kind of stop, pause, and remind ourselves, what is this? What does it mean to be part of this? Um, What does it uh, mean uh, to, to kind of have uh, ground yourself here and, and be part of this church. So uh, one of the main reasons I think that's a good uh, reason to do that regularly is because um, there's something that everyone in this room has in common. Like all of us in this room have been conditioned uh, or more accurately are being conditioned like every waking hour of your day to be a consumer. Um, all of us uh, have been taught and conditioned to approach life as a consumer, and it's when that kind of consumeristic mindset uh, kind of seeps into your understanding of what the church is, things can go horribly wrong and, and bad. And when we approach church as just another thing in our life that, that we consume, another thing in our life that we come and, and uh, be entertained by or to kind of satisfy our, our needs and, and our desires, something that you only come to receive from, uh, when that kind of consumeristic idea begins to seep into our understanding of what the church of Jesus is, things can go really horribly bad. Um, and, and it usually, that kind of mindset usually seeps in in kind of subtle ways. Um, I wish we did this. I wish our church uh, maybe didn't do this. I wish we sang more songs that were kind of like that. Um, I wish we did what that other church did. Maybe this church isn't meeting my needs anymore. And here's why that's a subtle danger. is because there's a good and, and healthy way to approach those things, right? There's a good way to, to, uh, to kind of address in, uh, some of your concerns in a way that, that actually leads to the building up of the body, uh, like Fiona read there. But there's also... Um, a, a consumeristic approach and a consumeristic way to uh, uh, kind of address some of your concerns that actually leads to grumbling and actually leads to uh, division. And the Apostle Paul would say the key to navigating everything you do as a church is to remember the gospel. Uh, remember the gospel of Jesus. When you center yourself on the gospel of Jesus, when the person and the work of Jesus is your cornerstone. It's, he's the, the gospel is the lens through which you see everything through. Paul would say, you'll make it. Like you, things will get messy, right? Because your church is made up of messy people. Your church is led by, by messy people. But if you center your church on the gospel, you will build each other up in love and in unity. And have you ever noticed that uh, Paul's letters, when he's writing to these messy churches, he always begins in that way, doesn't he? Like, he always begins by reminding them of the gospel. Here's who you are in, in the gospel. Here's what has made you, you. Here's what defines you. Here's, here's what shapes how you'll move forward together. And so, every year, we just want to do that. We just want to stop and pause, remind ourselves uh, of that, of the gospel, root ourselves, and give that kind of fresh vision again uh, of, of what this is all about, 
What does it mean to be part of village? What are we doing? What are we called to do? And particularly, uh, to see what that specifically looks like for us, because there's a diversity of churches around the world. Uh, I've been in a couple of them this year, and, and it looks slightly different. So what does it look like in a contextualized uh, version of the local church, a biblical version, but a contextualized version for being a local church in East Belfast in, in the year 2022, okay? That's what we're doing. Let me pray for us one more time, and we'll do just that. And Father, we thank you for uh, Jesus. Uh, we thank you for sending Jesus to, to live a perfect life that we could never live and to die uh, that death, paying the penalty for our sins, that death that we deserve to die, and, and for the new reality that you brought us into. And thank you, Lord, that we can call you Father. We're now sons and daughters. We're now brothers and sisters in a whole new community. Um, you've completely redefined us, Lord. Give us a fresh vision uh, over the next few weeks, Lord, of, of what that looks like, what that means. Uh, stir in us, Lord, in a way that only you can stir, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, let me remind you of our mission statement. Um, Village Church desires to be a gospel-shaped community of people who love Jesus, each other, and our city of Belfast as we join God in the renewal of all things. We desire to be a gospel-shaped community of people who love Jesus, we love each other, and we love our city as we join God in the renewal of all things. And that's not meant to be like a kind of clever, artistic catchphrase. It's simply just trying to summarize what the Bible tells us the church is and what the church should be doing. Any good uh, mission statement of a church, you'll see those kind of three realms. Um, firstly, uh, of loving Jesus, and this is knowing Jesus, uh, worshiping Jesus, uh, being with Jesus, following him, being known by him, loving our Savior Jesus. Um, there's also an aspect of loving each other, loving your, your brothers and sisters of this family you've been brought into. You're, you're, a, you're a community now. You're not meant to be alone. Um, you're not meant to, God didn't save you into like isolation and you kind of sometimes kind of join in. You're, you're meant to be alongside one another. The, these are living lives that are changed and transformed because of our encounter with Jesus. Um, and then there's also this aspect of mission. We're meant to be living in a way together in such a way, these, these gospel-shaped, Jesus-shaped lives and this community of love, living in such a way that we see the gospel spread, that the kingdom of God advancing, more and more of our, our lost friends and family and neighbors coming to know and put their faith in Jesus. And those three aspects uh, are what make the church what it is and what the church should do. Uh, and they're all important and they're all essential. And um, like, think about what, what happens when even one of those things goes missing from the church. And think about what would happen if we neglect loving Jesus, if we, if we neglect knowing him and being transformed by him, if we only focused on being a community, loving each other on mission, well, we'll just not grow healthy. 
Uh, we'll, we'll not grow healthier. Uh, we may grow in numbers, this kind of hype machine, but we won't grow healthy. We won't be knowing God. We won't be seeking to serve him and being changed by him. We'll also lose the, the motivation for these other two things. We'll not be motivated to, to, to be in community and to be on mission uh, because all of our, our communal life together that is hard and that is messy at times, that that life together on mission into the world, it's meant to be a response to loving and knowing Jesus, right? Like it's an ongoing response that is cultivated by knowing God and his grace to us. Like he loves us and we receive that and then we love others. He shows, he serves us, we receive that, we begin to serve others. He is gracious to us, so then we are gracious to others. He is patient with us, and so we are patient with others. You see this gospel-shaped life. Life in loving, sacrificial community on mission, it's a response to loving Jesus. So we can't miss that bit. What happens if we neglect community? So if we're just focused on, on that vertical relationship with God, and our outward orientation to the world, uh, if we neglect community and loving each other, then we'll have a very individualistic view of Christianity, which is very predominant in the West, right? We'll lose that beauty and the power of gospel community, gospel culture as a church. So part of that, the, the power of the Christian witness is not just Christians sharing the message of the gospel, that we have to, but it's not just that. Uh, it's actually having that message confirmed by the community, in the community, that working it out in real tangible ways and by seeing the, the Spirit powerfully working in the community when people are actually loving and serving one another. It's beautiful and it's powerful and it's missional. Um, what happens if we neglect mission? If we, neglect fo- if we just focus on loving Jesus and loving each other, we'll, we'll become insular, we'll become stagnant. Uh, ultimately, it'd be a selfish church, just content worshiping God together with kind of walls around our lives while the rest of the world doesn't know him. But a church with all three, that's a powerful church. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a New Testament church, a church that is loving Jesus, loving each other, and loving our city. You see, it's a Venn diagram. We're meant, we want to be right there in the middle. We want all three things overlapping. That's a church we were made for. It's a church that we can have. It's a church that we can enjoy and cultivate together. And so this year, for this Family Traits series, we really want to press in to that aspect of of being a community. We want to be a gospel-shaped community. And we want to focus on community this year because um, that particular aspect of church life has just been demolished over the last few, few years, right? Um, it's, it's, it's been shattered, community, life together, embodied presence has been demolished through the pandemic. It's been kind of put on hold. It's been kind of taped back together in weird digital ways. It's been put on hold again. It's just back and forth, and it's been this, this real strain, hasn't it? In more ways than I think we even know as well. I know a lot of people are sick of blaming things on COVID, but, but I, I think the, the past couple years have shaken us, and the past couple of years have really conditioned us in our thinking and our approach to church and life together. Um, and so the aim of this series to, is to, to give a fresh vision of life in community at Village. And what does it mean to, to, to do that and to be that? Just kind of reinvigorate life together for us. It's important to do this. We would, we would need to do this even without 
the effects of a global pandemic because our church is growing. Um, we're, we're, we're growing. We're no longer like a hipster church plant where knowing Jesus was just like talking about Jesus at the pub four nights a week, thankfully. Like, we're, we're, we're healthier. We're more sanctified. We're an established church now. We have a growing diversity of people. There's, there's students. There's singles. There's families. There's a growing uh, kids ministry. Praise the Lord. And so we need to to, to address things. We need to uh, tweak things and we need to make some, some kind of changes to our rhythms and our structures and what life in community looks like. And we'll, over the next few weeks, we'll kind of be letting you in on some stuff we've been working on and some tweaks and some changes that we want to make. Don't worry, nothing big's coming. Like, we're still village. We're going to do all that we do. Just a couple tweaks as our family grows. We'll also, just to kind of put this on your, in the forefront uh, right now, we'll be asking you, um, giving you an opportunity to commit to some of these things. And um, I want to give you an opportunity to say, yes, I, I believe this is what the church is and I'm in. Um, I I'd like to, or I'd like to have a conversation about this. But yes, being part of the church means to enter into community with each other. So hopefully the next few weeks will be this, just a bit of a renewal for us. Just a, let's press the refresh button um, and hopefully that'll make sense as we go along a wee bit. Cool. Community is essential to a life in God's kingdom. Um, John Stott once wrote, the church lies at the very center of the eternal purposes of God. Um, if that is true, that's a staggering truth. That's, that's not a truth that you can just be like, oh, cool, and move on. That's a truth that is, you have to stop and pause and, and what? Like church lies at the very center of the eternal purposes of God. It's not a divine afterthought. It's not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community for his purpose conceived in past eternity, being worked out in history, and to be perfected in a future eternity. It's not to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build his church. That is to call out of the world a people for his own glory. And so the, 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 this idea of community, it's not uh, something that we think, hey, this could be a good idea of, of how to do church together. Um, community is what you were created for. Uh, the church lies at the center of God's eternal purposes. It, the church is, is, uh, was God's uh, intended plan in creation uh, for you and for me. And this is actually the story of the Bible. Uh, the story of the Bible is God acting to fulfill this purpose. I will be their God and they will be my people. That, that's, the, that's the story of the Bible from the first chapters of Genesis to the end of Revelation. Um, it's this grand story of God acting to create a people who would be his and who would know and enjoy him alongside one another. And the Bible opens with uh, the story of this Trinitarian communal God creating us, inviting us into this life of, of being in perfect community with each other and knowing him being in his presence and, and glory. Genesis chapter 3, it all falls apart. Adam and Eve sin. Their disobedience means community with each other and with God is broken. Uh, Genesis chapter 15, God makes a promise to Abraham that he's going to fix it. He, he, I'm going to restore that broken community through your family line. Um, you keep going, you get to the Exodus that shows us that that 
that family has grown. It's grown into a nation, but it's an enslaved nation. They're in Egypt. They're not able to worship God the way they're meant to. Um, And the story of the Exodus is God remembering that promise he made to Abraham. I will be their God. They will be my people. I'm going to make this community for me. Um, And then acting to keep it. And he essentially brings his people by the hand out of slavery. They come through the wilderness. They have the the tabernacle, eventually the temple, which is a symbol of God's presence with his people. Um, But it's hardly the intimate uh, relationship with God that that we were intended for, right? Because there's the sin barrier that still uh, affects their, their communion with God. So they have sacrifices to make. There's rituals. There's cleansings. All these things they have to do in order to enter into God's presence. And even then, it was one person who could do that. This priest, a representative, hardly the intimate relationship they were created for in the garden. You keep going, you see that kingdom breaks apart, broken community, worship of idols. God's community continues to decide to turn away from him, to reject him. You get to Jeremiah chapter 31, where God makes a new covenant, a new promise, um, so he's still, he's, even through all their idolatry, all their unfaithfulness, he's still working to, to bring his people back and to restore that community. And the core of this new promise is the same as the one that he made to Abraham. I will be their God. They will be my people. But what makes this new covenant different is he says, you're no longer going to need these priests. You no longer need to uh, have mediators. You are all going to have access to me from the least to the greatest. And he says, the reason that that's going to be possible is because he says, I will remember their sins no more. So it's this promise to deal with that sin barrier so that we can enter in and experience that that garden relationship again. You keep going, you get to the New Testament, the Gospels, and you see the way that God makes it possible, the way he fulfills that covenant is he does it himself. By the sending of his son, Jesus. He makes it all possible. Jesus comes and he fulfills both sides of the covenant. And this is the message of the gospel is Jesus coming and doing what you and I could never do. He comes and perfectly fulfills that covenant on our behalf. Okay, so you read Israel's history and that's reading our history. Like their, their story of their unfaithfulness, of their adultery, their, their constantly running away from God, that's our story. Like when given the opportunity to be faithful to God and to uphold that part of the covenant, we like Israel always choose to reject him and to give our hearts to lesser gods. But the good news of the gospel is Jesus coming and doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. He comes and he fulfills the covenant, both sides of it. He fulfills the the promise of God coming and being with us because Jesus is God with us. His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. In him, the fullness of the deity bodily dwells. He is God in the flesh, come to be with us. He also, though, comes and he fulfills the other side of the covenant of being the faithful people of God. So Jesus is the personification of the faithful remnant of God. He comes and he lives that perfect righteous life that you and I could never dream of living, right? And so it's through him, when our faith is in him, that his perfect life, his righteousness is counted as ours. So it's through Christ alone, through his faithful life, through his sacrificial death on that cross, paying the penalty for our sin, through his resurrection that we now can be brought close again. Isn't that amazing? That's the gospel. That's what what shapes us. 
That's what makes this community this community. We are a community shaped by grace. And the Bible ends with this as well. In Revelation 21, you get this future look of the new heaven and the new earth. And, he, and God says, now I'm making my, my, my physical presence with my people. I will dwell with them. And he repeats that, that promise, I will be their God. They will be my people. This is the promise that's been kind of lined all through the scriptures. That's my dwelling place. And he wipes away every tear from their eyes. No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That's like five minutes of the story of the Bible. And God working to create a people who would be his and who would enjoy his presence And here we are in the kind of in-between period, right? Christ has done it. He he has made that that, that promise true, and it's for us. Nothing can separate us from that, but we're waiting on him to come again, and we're waiting for Revelation 21, right? We're waiting for him to come and make that, that promise an eternal reality. You see, the church lies at the center of the eternal purposes of God. His plan for creation was always to create a people who would be his, who would know and enjoy him alongside one another. So if you're a Christian, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, that is core to your identity. That is core to who you are. Because of Jesus, you're no longer strangers and aliens. You're you're no longer in isolation. You're no longer enemies with God. You're no longer without hope in this world. Through Christ's blood shed on the cross, you are now brought in. You are now adopted into God's family. Isn't that amazing? That's core to your identity in Christ, to live in community. God never intended to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness. His purpose was to create a family, a community, and we are now called to be part of that embodied community, working out our salvation alongside one another, clinging to Jesus until he comes again. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that so upside down from the individualistic, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make a name for yourself culture that we live in. It's so opposite from that. It's grace. It's, it's here's what you, you could never do. Here's what you didn't deserve and it's yours freely because I love you. <laughs> the question is, what does that look like in your life? What does that look like in our church life? And so over the next three weeks, we just want to paint I just want to try to paint a beautiful picture of what that looks like. So back to our mission statement. We want to be a gospel-shaped community. We want to be a community that is created and shaped and informed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what does it look like then to do those three things? What does it look like to love Jesus in community? What does it look like to love each other in community What does it look like to love our city and be on mission in community? We're just going to take three weeks to look at that. And this morning, with the rest of our time, uh, we're going to look at that first one. What does it mean to love Jesus in community? And let's see what it looks like to to do that. Particularly, what does it look like for that John 15 love? Um, if you're not familiar with that, most of you will be. John 15, it's that famous chapter where, where Jesus says, I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. 
So John 15 is, remember, it's about abiding in Jesus. It's about loving Jesus. And it's about staying connected to Jesus for the purpose of becoming more and more like Jesus, of bearing his fruit, of becoming more like him, of obeying his commands. That's what he says this looks like. And another word for that is discipleship. Another word for that is, is spiritual formation, spiritual renewal, this process of, of shedding off your old self and renewing, being renewed spiritually and putting on a new self. It's this, this maturing it's this, this transformation that's taking place, becoming more and more like Jesus. And so what does it look like for that to happen in community? And we talk a lot about abiding in Jesus here at Village and, and how that is uh, essential. It's deeply formational to our knowing Jesus and loving him and becoming more like him and experiencing his presence. And, and there's an aspect of that that is deeply personal and it's deeply intimate. And like, like, you cannot read the Psalms. You cannot read the rest of the scriptures and, and not think that and know that. Uh, but it's also clear from the scriptures that it's not only personal and intimate. It's also communal. It's absolutely both. Abiding with Jesus, practicing the presence of God, it's deeply personal. Your salvation is, is, is personal. So when you'll stand before Jesus one day, he's going to, Get, you'll have to give an account for your life and he'll either say, enter in my good and faithful servant or depart from me, I never knew you. So it's, it's personal, it's intimate. Uh, read the Psalms, look at the life of Jesus and there's, there's absolutely a time for solitude with, with the Lord at meditating on his word uh, Jesus is constantly taking himself off to, the, off to the quiet places to be with his father. Um, that was core to the life of Christ. It's crucial not letting your, your doing for God outpace your being with him, right? But it's not all there is to spiritual formation um, because we see it also must happen in community a, alongside your brothers and sisters. And you see this in the life of Jesus, right? Like he doesn't stay in isolation, Although that's essential and, and he needs that, he, he comes back to his community. At some point, the, Jesus always kind of breaks down as an example because he's perfectly faithful. He's the, the source of spiritual renewal. He's the one that, that draws us in. We're more like the fumbling disciples, right? We're the sheep who need to be with the flock. Uh, we, we desperately need to be with each other. We desperately need to be brought in and be conformed uh, to the image of Christ alongside one another. It's actually not possible for that to happen in isolation. Um, I was on my mini sabbatical this summer. Thanks for that, by the way, again. Um, and I had six weeks of, of being off. And about half of that I spent in solitude. Um, just me and the Lord. Um, and it was challenging and sweet and, and, and very needed. Um, it was formational for me and my spiritual renewal. But, you know, towards the end of that time, I felt acutely, I need to get back with my people. Um, I, I am not meant to, to just be alone in this. I need to work this out with my brothers and sisters. I need to talk about this. I need them to, to tell me what they think and confirm some stuff for me because we're not meant to, we're meant to work this out in community. Discipleship, spiritual formation in community is core to the local church. And, and that's what we see in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And that's where we'll be the rest of the next three weeks. Um, 
Hopefully you still have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4. Don't worry, that wasn't all intro. We're like deep in here. <laughs> Buckle up. And you can nearly go to any of the epistles and to see how this has worked out. Uh, because a gospel-shaped community of people who love Jesus, each other, and your surrounding city or area, it, that's what every church is, that's what every church should be, that's what you see in the New Testament churches, uh, but Ephesians is particularly beautiful. Um, it's six chapters long, and you can basically cut it in half, and the first three chapters is Paul giving deep, beautiful doctrine, and for three chapters, he unfolds for his readers the eternal purposes of God through history. Um, he basically unpacks salvation. Here's what Jesus has done for you. He says, you were dead in your sins. You were by nature children of wrath, sons of disobedience. You were without hope in the world. But in verse 4, he says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive, what, together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. This is chapter two, by the way. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He says it again, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Isn't that spectacular? Like, isn't that breathtaking? Um, do you see the, there's, an, there's a deep, personal, intimate aspect to that? By grace, you have been saved, but it's also deeply communal. He, more, more times than, than not, he says us. He's raised us together. Um, Paul says, that's what God has done for you. He's, he's changed you forever. He's made you from being strangers and aliens and separated from Christ without hope in the world through the blood of Christ, he's brought you into his household. You're not part of his family. You are sons and daughters, brothers and sisters in God's household. And so for three chapters, Paul is laying that foundation. He's giving us deep, beautiful, profound doctrine. And then verse chapter, one, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he shifts. And the second half of Ephesians is, here's what that should look like in your lives. Here's the application. So he moves from doctrine to duty. Here's the implications in everyday life. And that's what I want us to look at over the next few weeks. You are a gospel-shaped community of people. That's what makes us us. The gospel of Jesus, him dying on our behalf, bringing us in, making us a community. That's God's eternal plan and all of creation. And Paul says, here's what it should look like in your lives. And so in verses 1 to 16, we're going to see how spiritual formation happens in gospel community. Read with me from verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, therefore, why? Because of what? Because of this beautiful gospel that I've laid out for you for three chapters. Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Stop there. What's he, what's he talking about? What's the calling that he's talking about? He's, he's, he's talking to the, about the gospel there. That, that, that word call, calling, it means invited or more accurately summoning. 
It's this king summoning you in. You have been adopted into the king's family through the blood of Jesus. That's some calling. And Paul says, we are now to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. He's urging us to to live lives that are worthy of that calling. I urge you to walk in this new manner. That means there's another way to walk. Like there's no point in urging, in begging, in pleading, if there's not another way of walking. So he says, there's that old way of walking, of living, which he referred to in chapter 2, verse 1. He mentioned already, he said, you were dead in your trespasses, these, these sins you used to walk in, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan. Paul says, don't walk like that anymore. Don't, don't follow him anymore. You have a new father. Follow him. Walk in his ways. And Paul says, he's essentially saying, because of your encounter with Jesus, there should be a change in you. You should walk in a new way. He's talking about spiritual formation, spiritual transformation, this renewed heart, this changed life, this new way of walking. What does that look like? Paul says, walk with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. It's a changed life. It's a different life. Um, If you're familiar with the New Testament, maybe you're like me. When you think of someone who has been completely and utterly changed because of their encounter with Jesus, there's few people that I think of first than Paul, right? That's Paul's story, utterly changed because of an encounter with Jesus. And he actually talks about that that change in Philippians 3, um, where he describes this stark change because of Jesus and because of nothing else. It's a few few pages over if you want to look at it. Philippians is the next letter. And his testimony there in in verse 3 There's this change that you really get a sense of this introduction of humility. Because Paul's life before he met Jesus, uh, it was all about uh, striving and gaining favor with God through law-keeping, through this pharisaical way of living. Let me read you a section real quick. Philippians 4, verse 4, he's talking about that old way, and he says, I have reason for confidence in the flesh. (laughs) If anyone thinks they have reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a people of Israel, a tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee. What confidence. But then in verse 7, he completely changes. And he says, but. It's one of Paul's big buts in the Bible again. He says, but whatever gain I had counted before, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So Paul has this encounter with Jesus, and he now says, I actually count those things as rubbish. I count them as as dung, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. What change? What an introduction of humility. Like what confidence and boldness he had before, because of what he brought to the table, right? Right? But now he has this humility. He's like, I just want to know Jesus. That's, that's my goal in life, is to be found in him, is to love him, to gain him. And Paul says, 
back in Ephesians 4, he's like, that should be a result for you too. There should be this change in your life. There should be this humility. Why? Because you've received grace. (laughs) There's nothing more uh, humbling than receiving grace. God's shown you incredible mercy when you didn't deserve it. That's humbling, right? Grace is, there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor, but there's also nothing you can do to to, to lose it. This gospel-shaped life is now to walk with grace-soaked humility. He says you should walk with gentleness. Jesus was so gentle with you, wasn't he? So be gentle. Have patience. He is immeasurably patient with you. So be like him. Walk with patience. Bear with one another in love. That word bear means to put up with. It means to endure. It, it's, what's he saying? He's saying it's going to be messy. Your community has a lot of maturing to do. You're going to step on each other's toes like brothers and sisters do. So patiently bear and, and suffer with one another in love. Be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. So there's that community again. You're not saved to be isolated individuals. You're saved into a community and you should be eager to maintain the the unity of that family. He reinforces unity in the next sentence by using the word one seven different times. And then in verse seven, he says this, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So he's saying there's, there's this unity, there's this oneness, but there's a diversity as well, right? There, there's different gifts given to us by Jesus. What are those gifts for? We'll get to that in a second. But verse 11 speaks of these leaders that are given to the church. We don't have time to kind of get into all of them, but the point is there are leaders with gifts given by Jesus to care for the church. These, these pastor teachers at the end of that list who are to equip the saints for the work of ministry Uh, In 1 Peter uh, 5, uh, Peter uh, refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd. He's like this chief shepherd who who cares for his flock. And here we see Jesus caring for that new community, this new family, by giving the church gifted leaders to teach and to lead. But it's not just these teachers and leaders that are given gifts. He says, each of us are given gifts by Jesus. Why? What's the point of it all? Well, it's... For the building up of the body. It's for the building up of the body. The leaders are teaching and equipping, but the leaders aren't doing all of the work of ministry. They're equipping the entire flock, all of the saints, to do ministry with each other for the sole purpose of building up the body. That's what should be happening. This this building up, this, this spiritual formation, this change, this shift from the old way of walking to the new way that's worthy of our calling. The purpose of all of that is the building up of the body in Christ, verse 13, until we all, it's communal, until we all achieve the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to mature adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is discipleship. This is maturing. This is growing up into Christ. It's this spiritual formation. It's the purpose of, of knowing the Son of God, 
It's the purpose of of knowing Jesus, of loving Jesus, of being transformed by Jesus together in community. Verse 14, no longer to be children that are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That sounds like the old way, right? He says, rather, which is a word of change, right? Rather, rather means instead of this, this. Here's a change that should be happening. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. You should be maturing. You should be growing from being children tossed to and fro to being mature in Christ, becoming more and more like him. Do you notice the communal language? Speaking the truth in love, that's, that's communal. You have to have others in order to do that. From the whole body, it's communal. Joined and held together, it's communal. By every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body, it's communal, grow up, build itself up in love. The point is for the community to build itself up in love. It's transformation through community. You see what's meant to be happening? God has saved you. By grace, you have been saved. He has taken you out of your old life. He is, he's like, that's not your identity anymore. I've, bringing, I've brought you into a new reality. I've given you a new identity, and you're now part of this community. And Paul says, this should be a transforming community. You should, you should walk in a new way, a, a way that's uh, uh, worthy of the manner that you're called. Your, your heart should be changing and transforming. There should be spiritual renewal happening. You should be growing up now. You should be leaving behind your, your childish ways from being tossed to and fro and becoming more and more like Jesus. Growing up into him. And he says, this will happen through the leading and the teaching and the equipping of shepherds in your church, and it will happen through the, men, the members ministering to each other, building each other up in love. This is discipleship happening, spiritual formation happening in community. That's the marker of a local church. And I'm going to invite Lauren Houston to come up. And what, it, what we don't want to happen is for you, for you to say, okay, Paul, like here, here's this aspiration of how this should be happening in an ancient text. I want you to, to see over the next few weeks that this is a beautiful thing that's actually happening right here today in our community. So, hi, Lauren. Hi. I know I don't want you to be whatever. Um, thanks for doing this. I talked, I, I talked to Lauren through the week, and she kind of told me her story. I'm like, that's exactly what Paul's talking about, this, this life that's, that's changed and transformed because of Jesus and in community. So... Um, you just want to introduce yourself, tell people who you are, and, and maybe how long you've been around the village. Uh, yeah, so I'm Lauren, um, and I came village about maybe five years ago. Um, it's the first church I've kind of ever been to, so it's the first time that I was able to kind of see community played out, which I think I was pretty lucky to land here to begin with. So. That's great. Um, Tell us how your, your, your story, I guess, and, and um, how did Jesus get a hold of you and save you? Cool, yeah. So I didn't grow up 
in a Christian house. Um, so I grew up with like a very cynical attitude towards Christianity and about what Christians believed. I was always kind of told like, God's like Santa Claus for adults, like we don't do this. And I was like, right, fine. I went through my entire life kind of believing like, if I work hard enough and like sort myself out and keep myself together, then everything will be fine. And then when I was a teenager, um, I became really unwell with my mental health and I ended up in hospital with needing disorder um, and just in a really bad place where I didn't know who I was. I didn't know, kind of, I don't know, I kind of felt like all of the stuff was going on in my life that I couldn't control and the thing I maybe could control was what I ate and what size my body was um, and that felt like the sum total of my identity um, and then so as I was kind of going through this period of feeling like yeah just that there was no hope for me um, and things didn't seem to be getting better I had two friends from school um, and I'd been in hospital for a while so like teenagers are fickle visits became less and these two friends came up week after week and I was really hard to be around and really hard to love in that period because I was just so withdrawn and so miserable um, and week after week these two like 16 year olds came up and they were there and they cared at a time that was really hard to be there and to show care um, and they didn't necessarily come up and talk to me about God they just sat with me in that kind of period of suffering and then at the end of kind of those visits, they'd be like, listen, Lauren, we're praying for you. And I'd be like, cool, thanks. And um, so, but they were just so consistent and I kind of just didn't really get it. I was like, why do you care? Like, I, I'm not fun to be around. I'm not, I'm not okay right now. Why are you still here? Um, and they just seemed to have this like hope and this strength and this like, they were teenagers and yet they were so not thrown by the world and I was like I just don't understand it because everything breaks me right now so how are you so firm um, and kind of around that same time my like very non-Christian family were like okay well we've tried everything else let's send the minister up um, and um, so they like sent this minister and again I was like I totally don't really understand why you're here um, and but again my schedule was not that busy he came up every week and he didn't really it wasn't as if he's coming in and walking me through the bible he's just like listen Lauren I think that God loves you so deeply and cares about you so much and again I was just like that doesn't feel like that could be true um, but time after time I was leaving these visits, just being like, there's something so different about these people than what I'm used to. And these people have something that I just don't have. And, and I genuinely was like, I have no idea what that is. And then the more I was able to kind of reflect on it, I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's Jesus. Um, they have Jesus. Um, and I was like, right, okay. Um, that, okay, I'll give this a look. Um, so I was like bringing my Bible into my hospital room. Uh, it's like a Bible the minister had given me. I hadn't opened it. I was like, right, okay. Um, I'm not going to tell anybody I'm doing this because this feels like a bit of a commitment. Um, so it's like opening my Bible and being like, oh, this is not what I thought was in here. Um, this, is, this is really class. Um, and I was going through like chapter after chapter and I didn't understand 90% of it because I'd never opened a Bible in 17 years. But 
like word after word after word, I was like, oh my goodness, this, this is a God who doesn't change. I'm in this world that changes all the time and this God is so consistent. And he says that he loves me so much that he sent his son to die for me. And I was like, I can't really ignore that. Um, and this was kind of quite a long process. And then I just completely reached the end of my own strength and got to a point where I just needed Jesus. Um, and that need became really apparent, not just that I needed Jesus to get through that period of illness or to stay alive, but that I had lived kind of 17 years trying to survive on this strength that like failed me again and again. And I, I needed Jesus in that. So I became a Christian at 17 and I'd never stepped foot in the church and I still didn't really understand 90% of what I was reading, but it was, yeah. Um, so. That's amazing. What an encounter with Jesus can look like through a couple 16-year-old girls and, and a minister coming and, and sitting with you and uh, Jesus capturing you through that. It's amazing. Um, and then just what's your experience been like on the other side of that, of that kind of transformation in community, um, leaving behind that, that old way of walking and, and spiritual renewal, spiritual transformation, this new way of life um, happening in community. What's that experience been like, like for you? Um, yeah, so like, as I said, I'd never really walked into a church properly um, before I came to village. So I had this very skewed perception of what it meant to go to church. And I kind of felt like I needed to like really get my stuff together in order to walk in because I was like, these are people who have probably grown up, like knew their Bibles back to front, their lives are so together. I'll like need to walk in and be perfect. Um, and um, I did not do that. Um, so you kind of said at the beginning, like, oh, church is not somewhere that we go in and we just, like, consume and leave. That was exactly my plan. Um, I was like, I am going to walk in. I really want to hear more about God's Word. I just want to, like, find out more about the Bible. I do not want to speak to people. Um, so I, like, came in and village made that really difficult because every time that the gathering ended, like, immediately people were talking to me and I was like, I don't know you. Um, but... And like week after week, people were like, come to my house for lunch and like do these things. And I was like, okay, why do you care? Um, and, but it just became really apparent that this is just a room of people who just were so filled up with the love of God that that love just poured out of them. So I was like, right, this is a bit unavoidable. Um, so then I'd been at Village for about a year trying not to make conversation unsuccessfully. And um, I was moving to Belfast to go to uni and my friend Liz said to me, like, I think you should get involved in an MC. I think it'd be really good for you. And I was like, right, okay. Um, so I turned up to that first MC um, with like such a chip on my shoulder and so much imposter syndrome because I was like, I'm walking into this Bible study. I don't know anything that's going on. And you would think that you'd respond to that by being like, I'll hang back and like see what other people say. I did not do that. <laughs> I spoke from the second I walked in through that door <laughs> to the second that I left. Like, I don't think I paused for breath in, like, three hours. And I walked out that week being like, right, okay, I cannot go back to those people. Like, that was very embarrassing. Um, and then that week, those same people, like, reached out and were like, let me know if you need a hand moving into uni or, like, what can we be praying for this week? And I was like, oh, <laughs> um, why do you care? 
And that was kind of my experience of like going back and being like, why do you care about me? And it was because they loved Jesus and they saw me as this new Christian and were so willing to walk with me and whatever that looked like. So I kept turning up and despite the fact that every week I would give myself a pep talk in the car and be like, Lauren, just shush. <laughs> every week I would like turn up and I had so many questions and I, every single thing that we talked about was totally new to me. I'd never heard the Bible discussed. So things where people would be like, oh, I learned this in Sunday school. I was like, I didn't. Um, so I wanted to talk about that and I had questions and I, and some of them seemed like really silly questions. And week after week, I just kept asking those questions. And at no point did I really consider the fact that there was somebody on the other end having to answer them. But, I, but they did. And I think that's why I didn't consider it was because people were so willing to like take that time with me and answer those questions and help me learn more about God and to pray for me and be there in those times where I just moved out to uni and I was lonely and I hadn't eaten a vegetable in a week. And like... Richard and Kate were sending me home with Tupperwares because they were like, this is like potato waffles are not food. Um, so, and it was just this like really consistent love in a time where I was taking a lot more than I was giving. But in that, it just became really evident that these people loved God and that everything that they did for me in that time, every time somebody sent me this like massive text explaining a question I'd asked an MC, or offered to come and help me with something, or like cooked a meal for me. It was just because they were so invested in making sure that they walked with me in that journey as a new Christian. And when I think about village and what that looks like, I still really think about that. Um, and then I was able to kind of get gradually more stuck in. And it was a really slow process from like, I'm just gonna come and like consume all of this stuff for two hours a week to starting to kind of, like I didn't pray for the, in front of people for the first year and a half. Like people prayed for me every week and I was like, I don't know how to pray in front of people. What if I can't pray? What if I pray wrong? Um, so I just didn't. And then like very slowly those things started to change and I started to feel a little bit less scared to offer to make dinner for MC uh, in the knowledge that these people wouldn't judge me if I couldn't or to like get involved with serving even if I felt like I didn't have a lot to give because it had been modeled to me so well, and it was the first time where I was able to go in and talk about those questions that I had that felt really silly, or those things I was maybe struggling with in my life that I felt like other Christians don't struggle with. And I could sit down with these people who had been there and done that and loved me, and they were so persistent and cared so much. So I don't know, I hope that I am a very different Christian than the person who turned up at MC five years ago, um, but I'm so thankful that I had those people who, in retrospect, were in their late 20s and couldn't possibly have had their whole lives figured out, but were so good to me uh, in that time. And it was just, yeah, it was just a really shining example of how Jesus wants us to do community. Um, so, yeah. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thanks for this brave thing to do. That's a real beautiful thing to do. And those people that spoke into your life and, and, and just said, Jesus really loves you, they're right. And he does love you and his people love you as well. So your story is not over, um, but thanks. We just like thank God for what he's done. Um, just want you to see 
um, this isn't just a fairy tale. <laughs> it's not just a, a, a cool story that would be class if it was true. It is. Um, Jesus is real, and he is uh, capturing people in low places in magnificent ways and bringing them into a life of divine belonging and changing them um, slowly over time, uh, but it's incredibly beautiful. Um, there's a lot of different examples we could look at, and we will over the next few weeks, um, but I just want to put that before you again. This is what, this is what the church looks like. Um, Jesus saving us <laughs> simply because of his grace, simply because he loves you, um, bringing you in uh, from being alone without hope uh, to having everything in him alongside one another. Um, and it's amazing, and you get to be part of it. Um, we're going we're gonna to work that out over the next few weeks and see what does it look like to do that, uh, to be transformed alongside one another. Um, it's kind of a back and forth journey, isn't it? It's not just a one, one direction kind of thing, um, uh, but he's so patient with us. So um, a lot of it's going to look like what we're doing today, you know, gathering with his people and uh, being shaped by songs that we sing and we learn. Um, but it's not just that. Um, it's more, and it happens not just on a Sunday. It happens in life together, in community, uh, the church scattered. And we're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks and give a, a good kind of uh, vision of what that looks like, all right? Would you stand with me? We're going to pray, and we're going to praise. And Father, we just thank you. I wish end how we began by thanking you for Jesus. <laughs> Thank you for what you've done for us. Um, Lord, we didn't deserve the love and the mercy that you've shown us. Um, but nothing could stand in your way. Um, nothing could stand in your way of, uh, of coming and, and saving us, um, changing our situation forever. And we thank you for uh, those beautiful stories like Lauren told. Uh, each of us have that story, Lord. Um, we want more people to, to have that story as well. Show us what that looks like. Um, change us, Jesus. Um, make us more like you. Show us how to do that. We pray this in your name. Amen.